So we decided it would be a really helpful tool if we as a commission contracted with someone to build a guide that would inform people if you haven't built a trail, this is what you should do. This is what you should be looking at. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. For episode 150, we have Renee Madsen. Renee is the Executive Director for the Greater Minnesota Regional Parks and Trails Commission. During this episode, Renee goes into the details behind the funding that has helped put Minnesota on the map in terms of purpose-built mountain bike trails, as well as the details behind the book, Mountain Bike Trail Development, Guidelines for Successfully Managing the Process. Cooley Creative is a title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites, as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dojustsendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dojustsendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. It's getting cold in the northern parts of the world, which means layering and clothing will be part of pedaling for the rest of the season. Thankfully, the crew over at Kettle Mountain Apparel has been busy working on new cold weather clothing. You can check out all of the new clothing at the Cattle Mountain website. As usual, you can also grab yourself a 20% discount for the month of October on all Cattle Mountain apparel using the coupon code TRAIL20-OCT. That's TRAIL20-OCT. Check the show notes for the 20% discount code as well. On the Trail 1 side of things, I recently grabbed myself a new 40mm Rockville stem, which has been mounted to the latest high pivot creation from Trek, the Generation 6 Slash. You can grab yourself 20% off on all Trail 1 components by using the coupon code TRAILPOD. Again, this code can be found in the show notes as well. Now on to the Trail Effect with Renee Madsen. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Renee Madsen. Renee is the Executive Director for the Greater Minnesota Regional Parks and Trails Commission. How's it going this morning, Renee? Going well. It's fall and loose and uh, things are things are looking good. Yeah, the weather changed pretty fast, didn't it? It did, but you know, it happens. It's fall. We're all ready for it, right? Yeah. Well, let's get into what the Greater Minnesota Regional Parks and Trails Commission is, because there's a lot of listeners, basically everyone that listens to this podcast is into trails from all over the world. And so I think they'll be interested to hear that Minnesota, the state of Minnesota has a government entity that is focused on parks and trails. That's separate from your, you know, it's typical like Wisconsin, or I'm sorry, Minnesota DNR or something else. So do you want to explain what the Greater Minnesota Regional Parks and Trails Commission is? Yes, because it's not something most people are familiar with. So uh, back in 2008, the state of Minnesota, wise Minnesotans in as you recall, pretty tough economics time, uh, passed an amendment to our state constitution that called for five-eighths percent increase in our sales tax statewide. So those funds were put into four different pots of dollars for outdoor clean water, outdoor heritage, 
the arts, and parks and trails. So in the Parks and Trails Fund, which is 14.25% of the big picture, there are three partners, Minnesota DNR, Metropolitan Council Regional Parks, and the Greater Minnesota Regional Parks and Trails Commission. And among those three entities, the dollars are split up 40% DNR, 40% Met Council, 20% Greater Minnesota. The funds are specifically dedicated to improving and enhancing parks and trails in the 80 counties in Minnesota that aren't the seven-county metro area. So to put that in perspective, our budget for granting at the commission in this next biennium is over $30 million. So that teeny tiny little piece of the pie, that 20% of 14.25% translates to $20 million of grants. And what our commission does is designates parks and trails in those 80 counties as regionally significant, meaning you can't be a small local park that's cute and great and draws from the neighborhood. You need to be regionally significant on the order of a state park that draws from a greater distance. So we go through the process of designating those parks and trails, and that's a high bar, and then granting funds. And that pool is smaller because it's not available to everybody. This year, we have 76 designated facilities competing for those funds. So it's made a tremendous impact um, across the state of Minnesota. And it's not simply to do projects in a park that's already established. We've had several master plans come before us with plans for a park or a trail from raw land. And that's really, really exciting to watch from start to So that's what our commission does. We have 13 volunteer commissioners serving six districts that we have across the state, two in each district, and then a at-large commissioner. Uh, we don't have any staff. We have two of us contract workers and we work out of our homes. We keep things as nimble as possible to react to changing environment and economics and uh, keep as many dollars as possible flowing out through those grants. So that's what uh, our commission does. That's a pretty significant commission. And I think there's going to be other leaders from other states that are going to be a little jealous. Well, you know, just think of it. When you think of how far forward thinking people were at a pretty dark economic time, that's decide, sure, we're going to tax ourselves, but it's going to go for the greater good. You know, we're going to get clean water. We're going to do these outdoor heritage projects, the arts and build world-class parks and trails across the state of Minnesota. It's it's really, it's a neat thing. Um, it ex- It was a sunsets in 2034. So hopefully there will be an, you know, an effort to reauthorize that, that uh, tax. Um, But it's, it's a great thing. It is. And with that, Minnesota specifically has really chosen to go, what I'm going to say has chosen to go all in on mountain bike specific trails. And that is coming from a perspective across the border, one state east in Wisconsin. Why has Minnesota really chosen to focus on some mountain bike specific trails? Because that's, I mean, it's been a, it's been an incredible thing for us to watch. And it's been an incredible thing for people from around the country and around the world to really watch and see what's happening. Cause there's been some awesome success stories. You know, it's, it's been a flurry of activity. And when you look at the state of Minnesota, the upper half, which would be our districts with the commission districts one and two have really seen a growth of mountain biking. And, it, you know, I, I will say it started with Cuyuna. The Cuyuna trails built by the DNR were amazing. And they've continued to grow and be successful and have huge visitors and really propel uh, the state of Minnesota initially into recognition as having great mountain bike trails. So we, at the commission level, the Greater Minnesota Commission, we've supported 
building several trails in that area. So if you think of the state of Minnesota starting from the North Dakota border and working your way east towards Wisconsin, there's Detroit Mountain Recreation Area, which is a ski destination, but they've built some beautiful mountain biking trails on their facility, which the commission has funded for them, among other projects. There's, of course, Cuyuna, the state system. You get up into the Iron Range of Minnesota in Cohasset and Tioga Recreation Areas in an abandoned mine pit area. They've built some beautiful trails. They're part of our system. Coming over to Duluth, you've got the 100-mile Duluth Traverse that goes across the city. Um, with many, many spur trails off of that, but that's a purpose-built mountain bike destination. The commission has helped with grants there. Moving up the shore, Lake County has built some amazing, amazing mountain bike trails um, that sort of, that actually come into the DNR's shipwreck campground. That's a new campground for them. So it's a wonderful partnership. And then completing the um, the stretch of mountain bike trails, you get up to Cook County at Grand Marais and Lutzen, and there are purpose-built trails there as well that the commission's helped with. So we look at this really as building a destination. And there are other trails that aren't part of our system. Giants Ridge Recreation Area, of course, has mountain bike trails on the ski resort, as well as the Redhead Trails in Chisholm. So it's a it's a real destination. There's a lot of riding to do, and it's it's very different. Each area has different experiences. And I think that's the that's the beauty of having a connected system because we don't designate um, where we don't need things. One of our criteria is, does it fill a gap? Well, I think we've pretty much filled the gap with mountain bike trails in this area. And there's certainly needs for more in other places. We've got a beautiful system being built in Winona, Minnesota. You know, these funds have allowed these communities to augment the dollars that they have available to them through some matches. We don't require it and build these just amazing systems. Yeah. And with that, because, you know, Cuyuna, you alluded to the fact that Cayuna started with, with DNR funding and this fund came up, came about roughly, in, I mean, within three or four years of Cayuna going off. What have been the, the benefits that you've seen come out of using mountain bike trails as a destination tool for like ecotourism and economic development? Well, we know that there's definitely an economic impact in the communities that it's in. You know, I can't speak to Cuyuna, but certainly the information that I've seen says really good things about the impact it's had on that community. I mean, you've watched towns around there grow and prosper because of the the visitors that they're getting, the, the tourism impact, the, the athletes that are coming in to try these trails. We're seeing similar things in our system. And a few years ago, we worked with the Parks and Trails Council of Minnesota to do surveys at Cook County, Lake County, Duluth, Detroit Mountain, and Winona, actually, because we wanted to be sure that as we're building these systems, we're not overbuilding. People are coming. Where are they coming from? We learned interesting things about the impact we're having and what we're hearing about people coming to the area. So we know it's making a difference in these communities. We know that people are traveling with their pocketbooks. They're talking about it. They're coming from other states. They're coming from other areas and they're spending dollars here and they're enjoying it because there's, once you're in the state, there's a lot of options available to you. Yeah, for sure. And you've brought up Winona twice now, and I'm going to, I'm going to take that one and run it for a second because Winona is about a half hour North of where I'm located in La Crosse, Wisconsin. And it's been awesome to see. And I mean, I started mountain biking back in the early nineties and I remember going to mountain bike races at Holzinger Lodge, you know, as a, as a middle school and high school kid, you know? And so it's awesome to see that community really take off and they have a good, 
master plan, community-wide recreation master plan that includes trails among other things. And so it was good to see the funding of that come through. Um, but with that, that's a departure from the northern parts of Minnesota. Where do you see other projects potentially going in, if you can talk about other projects potentially going in south of, we'll say, the Twin Cities? You know, we haven't seen any large scale trail systems looking for funding or looking for designation. So that's the first step project process, getting designated, showing us your master plan that has to meet our criteria. So we haven't seen anything coming out of communities south of the Twin Cities other than Winona. I don't think that we aren't going to see any. You know, I think that there will be certainly some more communities looking at that. What we see more typically is a park, a regional park that's designated in our system puts in three or four miles of trails, right? Single track, because they have a need for it within their park. So it's in the boundaries of their park. It's not a purpose-built trail system, but they're providing the experience for those folks to learn and gain some skills. And the beautiful thing is they can gain skills at that park in their trail system and then continue on for different skill levels, which we offer in other parts of the state, Winona, and then, of course, northern Minnesota. So it's a great place to learn a skill and then develop your skills in other areas, build confidence. Well, I guess that perfectly brings us to what I'm going to refer to as the book. <laughs> what led you to the desire to have the publications created that is called or titled Mountain Bike Trail Development Guidelines for Successfully Managing the Process? And what's your backstory or what's the backstory on this publication coming to life? Well. As we were seeing more and more applications to build trail systems, we hit pause for a minute there and, uh, you know, we better, before we just keep funding things, let's get a handle on what's out there also, right? We knew about the big systems. We knew about the plans for those, but what else is being built that we don't know about? So one of the people that we subcontract with did a, a great inventory for us, again, just focusing on districts one and two, the northern half of the state. And we found a lot of trails are being built behind schools or around schools because mountain biking is hugely popular. It's a sport. Schools are embracing it. So lots of different communities were building trails. They weren't necessarily purpose-built and they weren't necessarily sustainable. So we decided it would be a really helpful tool if we as a commission contracted with someone to build a guide that would inform people if you haven't built a trail, this is what you should do. This is what you should be looking at. The last thing you want to do is build something that's hard on the environment, isn't going to be sustainable. It's going to wash out every time you have some rain. Let's show people a way to do this wisely. We envisioned, oh, about a 90-page guide, um, you know, something short to the point. Sent out an RFP, Rock Solid Trail Construction, won the RFP, of course. They've got, you know, such a wealth of experience. That was 2019. We start the process and... Of course, 2020, we all know what happened. And also Rock Solid was pretty busy and our author, Jake Carson at the time, was doing multiple projects. So fits and starts. And finally, in 2022, we finished things up. But along the way, Rock Solid became more than just, you know, the company we had hired to do the project. They became a partner in it as well, as did IMBA, because they, they had been asked to review some sections. So we all agreed this is great. And it during overtime had grown. It's 242 pages now. It is a complete A to Z. How do you build? What do you do? What do you think about? There's so much that goes into it. And Jake did an amazing job. He, he really did. 
because there's a lot to think about, a lot to to put together in photos of all of these different features that you're talking about. So there, it's a, it was a huge body of work. Imbo was a great partner providing feedback. Rock Solid provided not only Jake's time, but a lot of their catalog of photos as well. So finally, in May of 2023, we launched this guide and it has been so well received. And we just want to get it out there. You know, the commission funded this project. It was not inexpensive. It's a good thing we had partners in it. But the point was, we're not here to make money on it. We're here to get it out to the public so that you can look at it. It can be a resource for you. You know how to build a trail and what to think about. So it's available in hard copy. It's available as a downloadable PDF on our website. And it's also available on the same website as a flipbook. Um, but that's the resource that we just want to share far and wide. And we're really excited about it. We've talked about it a lot in this podcast through various episodes and various guests, but the trail building industry relatively speaking, is a pretty young trade. You know, it's it's something obviously, I mean, trails have really been around since like you could say before time, but the actual building of trails and professionalization of the industry is pretty awesome. And so to see a, a publication like this come out when we're seeing so much growth uh, worldwide in this industry is pretty incredible. Do you have any thoughts on that or things you wanted to see in the book that maybe were around the contracting side of things and the professionalization side of things? of getting a good product to put on the ground? Well, one of the things I've always been adamant about is, and I'm sure you can appreciate this too, Joshua, when who started building trails, but avid mountain bike riders and what kind of trails were you all building? Trails for your skill level. Not, not for mine as a beginning mountain biker at all. Not for little kids. You were building these black diamond trails and that was great and they were scary. So I've always been adamant about we need to start people at a green level and move up to a blue level and then get up to maybe a black. That's okay if you don't. So I really wanted to, I've always wanted to stress how important it is not to just build for the skills of the builder, but build for the audience so that we can embrace the sport and continue to grow it by giving people confidence of starting on trails that aren't scary. I mean, I look at some of the trails that have been built by Rock Solid in this area and I think, I'm afraid to walk on them, much less ride them. And I know that they're great fun because I'll try them. But, you know, I've always been adamant about let's start, let's think about the whole ridership group. So having that included as part of the let's, you know, build skill levels up, build some skill parks with these things. That's that's all included in the book. And uh, I think it's it, it's a good starting point. Well, and on that note, and I think you'll be able to appreciate this, you know, the ski industry you know, it's, it's significantly older, relatively speaking, than we'll say the mountain biking industry and mountain biking in general. And it seems like now in, in 2023, and even a, even a handful of years ago, we're now finally getting to the point of where the ski industry was, we'll say maybe in the seventies, you know, where they really were looking, you know, there's a huge expansion of resorts and, in areas to go all over the country. And then people started taking a holistic approach of like, how do we offer this to the masses and grow it? Correct. Well, and skiing, as you know, took a huge, lots of resorts were built, lots of community resorts were built, and a lot of them went away after 20 years because the popularity wasn't there as much anymore. I can remember the early 70s, you probably remember Mount Telmark, you know, that, what did everybody talk about? It's not there anymore. And how sad is that? A lot of smaller ski resorts aren't. So we want to make sure these mountain bike trails are built for the long term and have people using because unlike a ski resort, most trail systems don't have a user fee. 
So you have to depend on the county or city that's the owner of that system, making sure the maintenance is there. And, you know, we hear a lot about who's part of the reason that you get the designation process is what it is, is we want to know what your maintenance and operations plan is. It's great to build it. That's wonderful. A new facility is fabulous. But what is your long-term plan for maintaining that? Same with mountain bike trail systems. There are many, many groups of volunteers out there that have done so much work on these trail systems. But as they grow and expand and need more care and love, who's going to do that realistically? So we want to make sure that we're building the best possible trails that are going to withstand a lot of use and weather. And also, what are you thinking about long term for who's going to take care of the system? Yeah, and that's a, that's another topic we dive into pretty regularly on the show because you're right. You know, and and I've I've equated maintenance in trails to maintenance in almost anything. I mean, I used to work for Wisconsin DOT, spent six or seven years working specifically in highway maintenance, and what is the most underfunded part of that agency? It's highway maintenance. You know, we all like to build the new stuff, but we don't always, you know, as one as one guest put it, we don't always want to take out the trash and mow the lawn. Right. It's not as much fun. It's a lot more fun to start shovel for the new project and cut a ribbon at the end. And then all of that tedious, we need a new roof. We need new front doors. Our windows are failing. That's not as much fun. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just, I mean, you brought up other, other forms of infrastructure and all forms of infrastructure need some level of maintenance, whether it's a trailer, a building or, or a basketball court or whatever, right? The beauty of the four pillars in the Parks and Trails Legacy Plan that guides what we do in our system, the three entities that get the Parks and Trails Fund, there was a statewide community research and outreach done about if we're going to have this fund that's going to provide Parks and Trails across the state of Minnesota, what is it that Minnesotans want to see in these? And one of the pillars of the four pillars that came out of this plan was take care of what we have, the maintenance and repair things, not just the build it side, but how do we keep things in good working order. And of course, there was a huge backlog in everybody's systems of deferred maintenance. So happily, one of the things that we can provide grants for is repair and rebuild, rehabilitation, but it's not crack sealing and it's not seal coating. You know, it's it's truly the repair and rehabilitation, not your, your annual maintenance needs. So same with the mountain bike trails. And we are seeing some trail systems that were built some time ago that became part of our system now that needs some rehab and they need more thoughtful design that's going into the rehabilitation. So happily we can provide grants for that as well. That's awesome. And you, you brought up Mount Telemark and I will say rock salad is building there right now. So I don't know if you, we'll, we'll, we'll deviate a little bit, but Mount Telemark is now under the ownership of the Berkey foundation. Yes, I did know that. And through some, through some grants, which would include Trek Bicycle Company and a grant that you might be familiar with, the One Track Mine Foundation, which is a, a Minnesota granting or Minnesota trail-based grant organization. They are building a complete trail system at Mount Telmark Lodge now. Well, also transition from ski to a more popular sport now. Well, that's good. It's good to see it coming back in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, yeah. It's you know Berkey's moved their their headquarters there. And, you know, their, their events start and finish there with that new plan. There's complete connectivity over to the existing Canvas system. And so it's a really all-inclusive trail infrastructure of both gravity and cross country and NICA focus. So that's, you know, it's, it's pretty awesome to see that, even though you're right, it's when I was actually on site flagging with Aaron 
and another coworker this the week this book came out actually. Aaron went from the book launch to this site. And it was interesting to see all the pieces of the old T-bars and chairlift kind of just dilapidated and laying on the ground. And it was sad in some regards, but also nice to know that it's this it's being revitalized. Yeah, I'm glad it can come back. It's nice. It's a beautiful spot of land. It's just stunning to look at. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's in it. it, There's not a lot of Hills in that part of Wisconsin. And so to have like that particular piece of land sticking up out of the, you know, Schwamigan national forest region, it's, it's pretty cool. That's neat. Well, since releasing the book, you've, you've already said it's 242 pages, I believe, which I actually look at it pretty frequently for various things. What has the reception been from your peers? You know, we've had a really good reception from, because it's been since 2017, since any sort of guide of this sort's been tackled. So clearly, you know, standards have changed and and it was time for an update. So people have been very receptive of it. Um, I, we get a lot of calls for people who want a hard copy of the book, which is available to Minnesotans at no charge. Um, I think it's going to be a really great resource and we've had, we've had a really good response to it. In fact, um, Bilo Quebec is translating the book into French. So that's a terrific, that's a terrific happening for us. You know, it's a, it, it's really cool that they saw it, wanted it available and are, you know, paying for the translation into French. So that's, that's cool. Yeah, for sure. That is pretty awesome. And, and, and even though it does say Minnesota on the book, it's truly a, a book that can be used worldwide. It is, it is. And we've got a lot of photographs that show many different areas of the world. It's just that, you know, the Parks and Trails Fund paid for this book. So clearly our, now we want to talk about Minnesota in the appropriate sense. So looking forward, if there are some com- communities that kind of meet your criteria in terms of the grant program, what type of stuff should they be like, what are some hints or some tips that you'd have for them to apply in Minnesota, obviously? Sure. <laughs> Well, first they have to go through designation. So, you know, if you're looking to build a trail system, we've we've got a rich amount of trails, you know, in northern Minnesota, but clearly there are other parts of the state have gaps to fill. So it needs to be a process of community engagement. Is this something that the community wants? Is this something the city or county or tribal government wants? We're limited as to who receives the grants. They need to flow through a city, county, or a tribal government, although you can partner with a township. But the funds have to flow through there and the designation. You know, as we look at the state uh, on a statewide level, there are surely, you know, places in the state that would benefit probably from some really good mountain bike trail systems being built. But that's something that has to come. It's community driven. Um, we can identify areas and look for people and organizations in those areas to, to get, you know, the community behind them. But it really has to be community focused. Zooming out, this is a topic I didn't have on our list that just actually popped into my head as you were talking, but zooming out and kind of getting away from mountain biking, but go to, going to more just trail specific, you guys also fund paved trails and connector trails, if I'm not mistaken, correct? We absolutely do. We fund paved road trails. We do ATV trails, snowmobile trails, multi-use trails, natural surface trails. You know, trails mean a whole lot of things and we, and people recreate in all of those ways. Yeah. And, and what made me think of that, and I don't know why it popped in my head when you were just talking before, it was that I believe you funded uh, at least a portion of, if not maybe all of the Wagon Wheel Trail in La Crescent, Minnesota. Yeah. Wagon Wheel was funded just 
prior to the commission taking over the self-funding of it. That's when the DNR still had control for Greater Minnesota. But yes, Wagon Wheel did receive some funds. I think about six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, it's it's it is awesome to go over to Minnesota and see you know to see what what there is for actual paved trails and you know for commuting and for recreation. It's it's such a great resource. The point is to be a seamless system. So, you know, when you're riding a trail, you don't know if it's owned by the city, the county, the DNR, Metropolitan Council, you know, if you're part of Minnesota. All you know is you want a trail, if it's a paved trail, obviously, to not be tripping over, you know, stumps and cracks and it's, it should be well-maintained, right? So, you know, all three systems work together in the sense that you can almost ride from the top of Minnesota you know, up near Grand Marais on the Kitchigami Trail that's owned by the DNR through Duluth to the Munger State Trail, connect up with some other regional trails, get into the Twin Cities where you have a wealth of trails that Metropolitan under Metropolitan Council's umbrella, and then branch out again on DNR or Greater Minnesota Trails. So the point is for everyone, have a system that's in good shape, provide a good experience for people and who cares who knows who owns what let's just keep them all in really good working up order right oh yeah for sure and there's i don't know if if uh the legacy grant program has anything to do with this but there's a trail that's now coming over from winona to uh, wisconsin and obviously you're not funding in wisconsin but there's trails you know trail continuing on in wisconsin up along that uh greater upper mississippi river corridor and it's pretty awesome to see it especially travel south towards lacrosse you know we Obviously, you're right. We can't fund in other states, but we can sure come up to the border and let the next state take over. You know, same with think of hiking trails, the North Country Trail, and what an amazing expanse that is that goes state to state, county to county. Yeah. Well, this is a question that I ask almost all of my guests, and it might be your answer. I'm assuming it will be a little bit different than most people's, but maybe not. Some people answer with beer. Some people answer with uh, all sorts of things. Well, when you say beer, it's quite likely that could be my answer. <laughs> it's, it's true. You are originally from Wisconsin. <laughs> I wear that proudly. What do you feel are the ingredients for making a great mountain bike or trail community? Hmm, that's interesting. Certainly beer has evolved, hasn't it? That's become very popular. I think that it's important that the community embraces it because different communities feel differently about the amenities in them, right? You know, some people look at a lack of parking during the busy season. And how annoying it is because all of these visitors who are in your community to spend money are taking your favorite parking space. So I think it's community awareness. I think it's community welcoming. And I think it's the, the long-term look at any of these regional facilities, any of these activities of maintaining them, promoting them, and making sure that people are using them. That's what I think makes this. And then beer at the end of the day. And abroad. I love that you keep bringing Wisconsin into this. <laughs> With that, do you have any closing comments or thank yous or things we didn't get to that you want to make sure we cover before we wrap this one up? Well, I want to thank all of our partners in the project because while we, you know, we issued the IRFP and, and certainly started the ball rolling, it didn't keep rolling without Jake, the author, without Imba's input, without Rock Solid staying behind this project. And without, you know, the dollars from the legacy amendment in the state of Minnesota, we're very appreciative of all the partnership that came to play in this process. And, you know, it's just, 
again, I want to stress how important and how cool it is that Minnesotans decided to tax themselves to ensure that not only themselves at this time of our life back in 2008, but the whole generation coming up would be able to enjoy the outdoors. Because when you think about anything you do in the outdoors, it's unlikely that someone's going to decide, I think this weekend is the opening of hunting season and I'm going to go be a deer hunter. I mean, certainly people probably do that, but it's pretty daunting to think about, right? You have to know something about what you're doing. Uh, Safety considerations aside, you just have to know something about it. You don't decide one day, I think I'm going to grab the canoe and I'm going to go paddling in the BWCA for 10 days. That's that's pretty daunting prospect. And likewise, I'm not going to jump on a mountain bike and I think I'm going to get on this, you know, black diamond and I'm going to go off that jump and hope I land in the right way 15 feet down. You know, it's it's all about progression and building the next generation of users and enthusiasts and youth that want to continue to do these things. You know, I think back to 2020 when, you know, the world stopped and everyone looked around for a trail or a park or some sort of outdoor space to do something, to get away, to recreate, get off their kitchen table and their computer and how much those outdoor activities spiked and how much those of us who work in this field every day were excited about that. And it's come down a little bit, but you know, it hasn't dropped to pre-pandemic levels either. So that says people found something that spoke to them in their community, in their backyard, and they continue to do those activities. So I think it's important that all of us are good stewards of what we have and continue to take youth under our arms and teach them what to do besides being on their device all day, get them excited about the outdoors. Yeah, for sure. And I want to, I just want to point out before I wrap this up that 2008 was definitely really good timing for this because mountain biking or mountain bikes, I should say, as a piece of equipment, were really starting to get better than they were. Nika was starting to heat up as a, and high school mountain bike racing was starting to heat up. And it's, I mean, it, I don't know if, I don't know if you could have pinned it better. And I know it, it was just probably serendipitous that it was 2008, but I don't know if there could have been a better time frame to kick this thing off, to really, you know, to embrace an activity in a sport that has flourished since then, you know, worldwide. It has. And it's, you know, it, it's fun to see little kids on bikes. And just like when I was in the ski industry, it was fun to see little kids on skis because they're fearless. You know, when they fall, they don't fall nearly as far as we do. It's a little more extreme when we fall, but little kids just are like gumbies. They fall over, they get up, they keep going. You know, I, the timing was good and hopefully the timing continues that people continue to do the sport and we make it available to young kids. One of the grants that our organization did was a connecting people with the outdoors grant to the Duluth Traverse to have a mountain bike fleet that was mobile to be able to take these bikes and helmets and water bottles and instructors into neighborhoods that are underserved that might be close to the trail, but these kids didn't have bikes to be able to learn how to do that. So the importance of continuing to make equipment available to little kids and people who can't, don't have the means to afford it is important. That's awesome. I'm really glad you brought that up before we close this one out, because that's definitely an important piece of this, you know, mountain biking, just like other sports, you know, can be a expensive, a high barrier of entry in terms of cost. And we definitely want to make sure it gets offered to anyone and everyone that wants, that has the desire or even thinks they might want to try it out. Exactly. That and adaptive trails too. I think that'll be one of the appendices that we do in our book. You know, 242 pages was a lot. So we've had some conversations about what 
appendices should we do next? And I think that adaptive trail construction is an important piece of it too. It is for sure. And that's a topic that I've hit on several times through this podcast with, with various adaptive riders and across the country. And it's, it's adaptive mountain biking isn't what people might think it is. You know, it, it's not a dumbed down trail. It's, they want to be able to send it just like anyone else. Yep. And we, we need to be mindful of that. You know, a lot of people don't, we're lucky to have the mobility we have, but when I, you know, when you think of accessibility, it's more like universal design. As I get older every year, I think about universal design because I want to make sure that I can still continue to do these activities. There's nothing wrong with that. And you're right. It's not dumbed down. It's just making it more available to people. Yeah. That's, that's the exact terms term that, uh, former guest Joe Stone, who happens to be a Minnesota native, who's an adaptive mountain biker. He's the executive, he's the executive director of Teton Adaptive in Jackson, Wyoming now. Um, but he used universal trail design and he said it just the way you said it. Well, it should be all inclusive of every ability and every, everybody. So, well, Renee, I really appreciate your time this morning and, and sitting down and being able to record this conversation. I think there's a lot of, of pieces of information people can take out of this and maybe incorporate it into their own state and get their own legacy grant program or however they spin it going, because it's definitely a good thing in Minnesota. It's, it's great. And thanks for the opportunity to chat. It was fun. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you're new to the Trail Effect podcast, check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. If you listen to the Trail Effect podcast on Apple or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating and review, as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the Trail Effect podcast. Also, don't forget to check out Cooley Creative at www.dojustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the Trail Effect podcast, check out the affiliate links tab at the Trail Effect website, where you'll find links to Kettle Mountain Apparel, Worldwide Cyclery, and Trail One Components. By using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, a small commission will come back to the podcast, which will help keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.